0: I you have to have an educated patient who understands what they're coming in for, who has realistic expectations, because we do brow lifts with threads as well. And you can look like Mr. Spock for a little while until it's settled, you know? Uh, and it is a reality, and, and patients are, are quite perturbed as soon as the procedure is done, and, oh my god, I didn't know I was going to look like that. So you have to have a well-educated patient. I try my best not to do it with a first-time patient because I think I could potentially scare them away. Um, and especially a first-time patient to aesthetics. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Reinvent Health podcast. Here we get to chat to some of the world's most interesting and influential people about everything to do with physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. If you want to make healthy changes and live a better life, you are in the right place. Please don't forget to rate, leave a review, and share with everyone who wants to live their best life. And now your host, Nikki Robertson.
1: At the time of recording this podcast, over 100 million vials of Botox have been sold and used in numerous applications. And this is just one of many hundreds of aesthetic treatments available to anyone who wants to freshen their physical appearance and perhaps look a little younger. Self esteem comes from many places, and I really believe that we all need a little help from time to time because when we feel good about ourselves, we generally respond to the world in a much more positive way. Whether this is getting your hair done regularly, going to the gym, being more mindful of the foods you eat, or paying particular attention to your skin. Aging is natural, but aging well is a choice. And in today's show, I chat with aesthetic specialist, Dr. Tahira Esse. Dr. Esse has a private practice in Johannesburg and has been doing aesthetic enhancement for many years. You can get in contact with the doctor directly through the contact details listed in the show notes. So Dr. Tahira Essay, thank you for joining me on the Reinvent Health podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's always great to speak to you. Today's chat is a little different to what I normally talk about. Different, but also there's a lot um, the same because I really believe that, you know, looking after your health also means freshening up your appearance because self-esteem plays a big part in overall mental and physical health, I really believe. Um, and there's a lot of weird perception out there that, well, we will, we'll go into the weird perceptions that are out there in detail because there are numerous, but yeah, it's still in this day and age, I find it quite interesting. Um, and I just looked up online that over a hundred million vials of Botox have been sold, which means hundreds of millions of people have, you know, experienced aesthetic enhancement one way or another. So it's out there, but there's still so much misconception. So let's begin by introducing yourself and telling us how you got into this field of um, aesthetic enhancement, for want of a better description.
0: So uh, I'm a medical doctor and I do practice um, as a general practitioner. However, from the outset, I've always had an interest in skin and in wellness and in prevention, um, and that's led me down this path. So what happened is that I did um, internal medicine for four years in, you know, the state, and then I went into GP practice, and I was hoping to do dermatology, which I didn't get opposed for, and once I found myself in GP practice, I think the aesthetic industry was just starting And um, if you look at aesthetics, it's also it 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 combines you know skin treatments apart from fillers and botulinum toxin etc. So with my clinical background and then going into GP practice with this passion, I would say for uh, for all things skin and beauty related. I then started doing small courses and uh, I was amongst the first lot of doctors that did the postgraduate diploma in aesthetic medicine. I also then did Uh um, some training in integrative and functional medicine because I believe that it's all connected. Yes. And, uh, you know, if you are that person who, you know, wants to age gracefully it's not just about the appearance it's about everything absolutely so, so that's why I'm here and I'm quite passionate about what I do but I try to look at people holistically and not just as a face or a set of looks. Love- yes <laughs> no <laughs> because that's not what it's all about
1: yeah and you know it, it really strikes me and I'm somebody who's been having I've been having botox since my early 30s because after seeing my mom have a facelift, maybe two facelifts, I was so horrified at how those things happen. I thought well perhaps prevention is better than cure. But yeah, let's let's look at that whole, you know, integrative picture. You can't just go to an aesthetic doctor who's going to make you look 10 years younger if you don't look after your skin, for example, or if you're a heavy drinker or a smoker, because these things destroy the foundation of what health and healthy skin is all about. So let's let's dive into the integrative or more foundational part of what it takes to age health, healthily and gracefully and aging well, I guess is the best term.
0: Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, when, when I see a patient, we do what we call a global facial assessment now, um, which is where we look at the whole face. So previously, when we started over ten years ago, somebody would come in and they say, "I don't like the lines on my face. I, I want that fixed, or I just mm-hmm. want my lips." So now, when we meet a patient, we part of the consultation is to look at everything from the skin uh, to what they're using, whether they have mm-hmm. a sunblock. Um, you know, we also can go into nutrition. We can go into collagen. The, you know, the market has evolved. It's so great that now we're not just dealing with a specific concern. And as a doctor, uh, part of my job is also to take a good medical history uh, to see where my patients are at in terms of their health in general. You will know that smoking, environmental factors uh, like pollution, um uh, some allergies, sensitivities, foods can bring out the worst in skin. Yeah. And what you're seeing on the outside is a manifestation of what's happening on the inside. Mm-hmm. So we, we often chat to patients about this and it's part of the consultation. So it's not it's not a simple thing anymore of just saying, okay, let me fix your lips. So let me take away your wrinkles. And often what you find is that patients are taken aback, but when they go home and they think about everything that you've told them, you'll find that a few months down the line, they'll come back and they'll say, okay, what what should I invest in? What should I do? And surprisingly, recently, I've seen quite a few patients coming in with like autoimmune conditions. And uh, it's quite interesting. to see what you can and can't do for these patients because of the medications that they're on. Mm -hmm. So it's a whole, you know, it's a mind shift. And if you don't have a strong medical knowledge, it becomes a bit tricky.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. And, you know, I've never thought about it that way because there's so much contraindication. And then what you said is so, I mean, from my practice, the first thing I do when a new person comes into my rooms is look at their face not from a social point of view, but really to see where where the inflammation is. And if there's inflammation, there's red patches, there's um, pigmentation on the skin, I know there's something going on below the surface, most often gut-related, very often blood sugar-related, and that's your skin is your first big warning sign that something's wrong um so yeah the physical you know what we see on the outside is an absolute mirror to the inside if you know what to look for and i guess you know people come to you because they have rosacea or they have acne and you've got to start fixing that from the inside as well as the outside yes you've got to use the right products and you've got to understand that your skin needs hydration before you can do anything to that skin. If your skin's dehydrated, nothing's going to hold. I mean, even the fillers don't work very well unless you're drinking enough water. So there's there's a lot of education that goes on behind it. It's not just a case of somebody having duck lips and all this negative, you know, Nonsense that you see on social media. There's so much more to this. So let's let's talk a little bit more about what, in your opinion, are the most important things a person should be looking after if they want to have beautiful skin down the line. I'm not saying don't, I mean, definitely go and get the Botox and you know do the. It, it's mm-hmm. kind of the dressing on the Christmas tree after you put the structure of the tree up, for want of a better analogy. Mm-hmm. And um, so, what are the fundamentals that you believe that we should be doing from an early age, from the teens onwards, to just make sure that you get the best out of your skin?
0: So, I think you know, for a number one for me would be um, a sunblock. I usually don't do any treatment on patients who don't use a sunblock, uh, especially in South Africa. I think there's a misconception. That, uh, oh, in winter the sun isn't so harsh, but actually our winter sun's very harsh. So uh, it's quite important. And also, we have a lot of Black and Indian patients, and they feel that the melanin is just enough protection. Right. But we yeah. are starting to see a lot more in terms of melanomas, et cetera, in you know, skin types four to six, your darker skin types. So uh, for me, a sunblock is, is very important. So I educate my patients on that. I think a cleanser is quite important, which is specific to your skin type if you've got a normal oily combination skin so uh, a good cleanser a good sunblock and then as you get older you do need to feed the skin and uh when i look at a product i mean you know you look predominantly at like vitamin c which is quite a potent antioxidant and good for brightening the skin as well so i look at a serum or moisturizer that's then going to combat your specific concern because some people are fortunate that they don't have anything when they're younger and you know I'm one of those people I've been genetically blessed uh where you know I probably could get away with most things but there are patients who have real problems and those patients are the ones who need to start from an earlier age where if you get them into a routine of looking after their skin uh it prevents us yeah. having to treat the damage later on exactly. So, yeah, important things would be a good cleanser, um, a good moisturizer or serum with vitamin Cs, antioxidants. Uh, You know, you can look at things like kojic acid, glycolic acid. Um, You can look at um, salicylic acid if you're acne prone. So, you know, the ingredients are more important than just getting yourself a product. And then a sunblock, you know, at the moment, most are SPF 50. Uh, so you could look at a good brand of sunblock with an SPF 50, and then you've got to reapply, especially if you in the sun quite often. Uh, new on the market, not so new though, is collagen. Uh, collagen supplementation can be advantageous Yeah, uh, very good for your bones your joints mm. your general health but also for your skin and you'll see that there's the movement at the moment um, in the aesthetic industry so traditionally you know botulinum toxin works on wrinkles and and that's your go-to for your frown your forehead crow's feet etc and then we had filler For volume loss and a skin booster. And now we have things called biostimulators, which basically use the body's own mechanism of making collagen. And so collagen is a big thing at the moment, where if you, and what I'm seeing it is in younger patients who, you know, run a lot, go out a lot, you'll see that they actually lack collagen. So, so, This whole thing of supplementing with collagen and biostimulators is something that we're moving towards. Mm. It is a more natural way of anti-aging because you're stimulating the body's own mechanism of of synthesizing new collagen rather than injecting something into the skin that's going to replace volume loss, hydration, Mm. etc., so it's quite an interesting shift going on at the moment, and they're saying it's 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 a thing of the future now. So I agree, um, but we are seeing a benefit in that, mm. and then you know a combination of treatments. So you could look at um, you know chemical peels regularly. You know I would say if you don't really have a problem. You know, three or four times a year, you can do micro needling for collagen induction. But yeah, your basics in terms of products would be like, as I mentioned.
1: So yeah, just to go back to the vitamin C, which is, it's so foundational as well, not only nutritionally, but from building um, or stimulating collagen. So you can ingest collagen, but that vitamin C opens the door and gets that collagen into the cell. So collagen by itself is, yeah, I think you're probably going to get about 20% absorption if your antioxidants aren't adequate. But if you get that vitamin C, specifically vitamin C, right not too much either it's going to make that collagen work so much better and you know collagen is protein at the end of the day it's, a, it's lysine and glycine and all sorts of amino acids that come from animal protein and you can't get that anywhere else you know it really has to be broken down hoofs and ligaments and tendons of animals that is boiled and boiled until it's disintegrated and we are ingesting that which is, good for our cells and our liver and kidneys and brains and everything on so many levels, but also I'm finding nowadays where people are eating less and less animal protein is they're also negating those building blocks for their skin because we turn all protein into collagen, where if we're having too much glucose, glucose breaks down collagen in the skin. It literally destroys it. If you look at most people's diets, they're high in glucose, low in protein, and we wonder why we're aging quicker. And when we're talking foundation, for me, this is one of the things, before we even talk about the benefits or not benefits of eating vegetables, you know, getting that protein up and the glucose down and getting hydrated will give you a tenfold change in your skin without before you do anything else. You know, and not just your skin, your bones and ligaments, tendons, the aches and pains tend to go. So you know, that's something no one really thinks about is what are the building blocks of skin
0: yes and and i think you know this is also where the misconceptions about aesthetics come in um i think we have tools now to age gracefully however it's 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 a combination of things and and you know if we don't have this discussion about what's good for you what's not good for you about supplementation sort of like a team approach to targeting a specific condition uh, I think that's what gives aesthetics a bad name because everybody just thinks that you want to change your appearance, yeah. uh, and you you know you you don't want to age, or you know you want to look younger, or you you know. But I think we have tools now where we can age better. Mm. Um, you know, there's a, there's a big drive also now to living longer. Um, and there's life coaches that particularly drive that. So there's no point in living longer and looking better if if you know everything else is 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 not adequate. Yeah. So I think when you know aesthetics is all about age management, it's about wellness, it's about appearance, and not just about duck lips and uh, you know, puffy faces yes. and you know, I think I think that needs to go because what's happened is that the media has this picture of like, you know, the catch woman, like a botch surgery. Yeah. And that's become the face. Like if you have to tell yes. your partner that, oh, I'm going to go for botoxophilus, 90% of people will tell you that that's the first image that comes to mind. Yes. And it's about changing that conversation Um, and making people realize that it's not just about that. And I think as a doctor or medical practitioner, you know, we we guided by our ethics and we need to work exactly the same way as we work in medicine when we do aesthetics. And um, I think that, that should be our guiding light ultimately. Oh, there's so many, so many topics
1: there. So let's just go back. I saw on Instagram or somewhere a couple of weeks ago, there was a woman with, very overtly enhanced lips and there was tons of comments and people going Botox lips and uh, you never put Botox in a lip as far as I know. It's, it's a completely different application for something else. Mm-hmm. And there's still all this opinion out there, like you say, and the media does nothing to change that. In fact, you know, it's almost like they get, they create the horror stories. Um, so you know if somebody comes into your practice firstly what is the where's the cutoff for you in terms of ages concert? how young would you see a patient um and also depending i guess on what they're there for so if they have a real problem um or they have they have an injury or they have some kind of real um distortion that's affecting their self-esteem versus somebody who wants to come in and look like Angelina Jolie, who actually has a natural mouth. Uh, Where do you draw the line and how far do you go in terms of counseling a person as to what, what will look daft, frankly, and what's, yeah, how do you help a person make the best choice for themselves?
0: Okay. So, you know, part of what we do is to, um, Assess patients or to assess the psychology of a patient. And when a patient comes in, uh, often you get a sense of where they're at. Um, I have seen young patients uh, for lip filler, like 18, 19, 20. Um, In those patients, it's more aesthetic. It's got to to do a little bit with uh, self-esteem. And usually, um, you know, because... I'm not all about over-volumizing and putting in just as much product as I can. You know, I try my best to guide the patient and give them the best possible option because the reality is that if I don't assist them, they will go to somebody else. And you know, you don't know if the experience is going to be the same. Yeah. So you don't say no, but you've got to assess each patient on their own merit. Mm. Um, when it comes to botulinum toxin for frowns, et cetera, there are some young people who have very entrenched lines. Sometimes it's due to sun exposure or being over expressive, And in that case, it would be from a preventative um, perspective, because if I don't uh, relax those muscles, I mean, I don't have to do a full treatment, but if I don't relax those muscles now, in the next 10 years, they will have static lines on their forehead and their frown, which, which makes them age quite a bit. Yeah. You can offer them things like microneedling or you can do resurfacing which you know helps to contract a bit of it but you will see mainly younger patients for skin conditions I find that's the most common uh, for like acne and not so much pigmentation but I think acne would be the big one mm. uh, and also you know um. It's about finding a balance because we can treat acne medically mm-hmm. uh, with like Roaccutane and things like that. Mm-hmm. Or you can treat them from a dermocosmaceutical route where we would give them topicals to apply and, and then, you know, antibiotics or combination of these things. So so every patient is on the Merit and a lot of parents are resistant against using a Roaccutane alternative. Yes. So, yeah. Um, You know, you've got to have that discussion and then there's the liver implications and then there's the in, you know, the, the risk of um, abnormalities in the fetus if they fall pregnant. So there's a lot of things at, at play. So every patient that walks in has to be treated as an individual. taking into consideration their background. With my younger patients, I do consult with the parents because I think that's quite important. Um, And I think there are a lot of younger role models out there doing aesthetic procedures at the moment. So if you look at them, it's a complete makeover, Um, the use of filters. uh, There's a lot of things going on. And uh, I think there's insecurity that you've got to manage Mm. and you've got to reassure the patients, it becomes, you know, it's quite a task, but I think you have to be guided by your professional acumen, and sometimes you have to say no because you understand that there is something else going on. And and even with older patients, Mm. uh, you would find that often there's been trauma after COVID. People are looking for something. Thing that no amount of filler or facial treatments or botulinum toxin is gonna fix. So, so you know, as you have that conversation, you 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 gauge where people are at. And I think the biggest thing to, you know, to, to reassure patients or to tell every patient that walks in is that you are fine the way you are. Yeah. All we're gonna do is just augment what you already have and you know if there's something that's really bothering you we're going to try and, and and address it uh because i think some patients come in and they say look i've been somewhere else and i've been told i need to do 10 different things oh. um and you and and you you didn't even tell me five yeah and then you think am i doing something wrong mm-hmm. you know like did i miss something here or um yeah, like, you know, you 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 question yourself constantly because there they, they are different spectrums or different practitioners that practice a different type of medicine and the same way you get a different patient. So you're not going to be a fit for everyone because, you know, um, yeah. maybe you don't do a total makeover in an hour.
1: Yes, and I think these, you know, you've got to manage expectations and really understand what people are looking for. And, you know, again, what you see online is fake, 100% of the time. You know, the my 10-year-old was going on about lips and this and that on TikTok. And, yeah, I had to have a discussion with her. Like, this isn't real. You know these are filters. You know you can turn on that filter and change your face. And she said, yeah, I know, but, but, yeah, as parents, I think we've got to be very switched on in a totally different way um, because it can get out of hand really quickly. I've had... But on the other side of the coin, I have had patients come into my practice who really encourage their teenage daughters to go and get boob jobs and eye lifts and this. And I find that a little bit horrific as well because, you know, where do you stop and where does this come from? And what message are we sending out into the world that you're not good enough unless you've been tweaked and you know, altered yeah. in some way. And to me, yes, like you said, the psychology of this is really, really important to address. And, you know, I, I get what you say about, you know, initially you can't say no, and then you regret it. And as we go, as, as time progresses, you learn who you can work with and who you can't work with, because those people who insist on certain treatments are going to be the first people to come back and tell you that you overdid it so yeah I think you yeah, know some perspective is is
0: is needed on on both ends of the scale here I think it's important like at all times to try and maintain that level of uh, discretion when treating patients and it, it's the same you know whether it's in medicine or or any other sphere of wellness etc because ultimately the patient must be first and uh we try and give the patient exactly what they want it's not always possible um but yeah within your scope of practice so so it's it's a really tricky thing at the moment because especially for aesthetic practitioners because there's a lot going on in social media, among celebrities, and and this real drive, you know, for perfectionism. And yeah, uh, yeah mm-hmm. God didn't make us perfect. No. That's the reality. Yeah. Yes. so So we try our best, but I think it's just about changing the conversation and education. And I think the more we talk about it, the better it's going to be, like a lot of people come in and they're like, no, I don't want this one to know, and I don't want my husband to know and i you know it, it's 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 difficult because you're not really doing something wrong, but the impression is that you're doing something wrong
1: yes that is that is true. the so when you go in, i mean when I've seen you and I've had some Botox, talks, nobody knows nobody says anything nobody comes up and say, oh I can see you've had Botox they say you look like you've been on holiday did you have a nice like a good night's sleep and that's what you're aiming for is just to look a little bit fresher yes. but still you, um, you know, so that's that's really for me what I look for is just to look a little bit more awake uh, yeah, a couple yeah. of times a year just to freshen up the
0: appearance yeah it, it's a reality people think no you you're going to look totally different when you walk out But some people want that. But then there's a bigger problem
1: there. So yeah, that's that's another conversation to be had, I guess. So let's go back yeah. to the microneedling and resurfacing. You know, um, How does that work? I understand that that gets the body to respond to a trauma by making more collagen. And in some cases, it's also a way of getting product deeper into the dermis. So how does that work? And what are the new technologies coming out insofar as you know, resurfacing is concerned?
0: So basically, when you break down um, treatments, you can look at sort of superficial or non-invasive, if you want to call them. And then you would look at like your chemical peels. But even in chemical peels, there's your superficial, medium depth, and deep peels. We then go on to um, energy devices. And uh, the common ones on the market are like radio frequency, ultrasound, and lasers and lights. So. Micro-needling has been around for a little while, and it's the use of needles that puncture the skin at different depths, depending on what you're trying to treat. And so micro-needling, in essence, is collagen induction therapy. We then use this in combination with certain topicals, again, like... uh, uh, vitamin C, your serums, your mesotherapy, cocktails, uh, your antioxidants. And then we use the microneedling as a delivery system. So essentially, you're creating punctures in the skin. You can do it two ways. You can do a chemical peel followed by microneedling. And then the whatever serum you use should be targeted to what you're treating. So if it's for pigmentation, you would use something targeted at pigmentation. If it's acne, then you would do maybe lactic or salicylic, glycolic, something with those active ingredients. And then it opens up the channels in the skin, and this allows for penetration. Um, over the long term, Collagen induction therapy or the collagen cycle in the body takes three months. So if you do microneedling today, you actually would get the benefit of it in three months because then... The cycle has completed, and then whatever you're treating specifically—acne, pigmentation, wrinkles, fine lines—just for texture, pores, your your serum or your glide that you use for microneedling would then target that specific concern. Okay. Then there is now like an energy device with radio frequency, so it's radio frequency with microneedling. There, you the tips of the needles also disperse radio frequency energy, which basically improves, tightens the skin as well. And also the depth with traditional microneedling versus on a device can be different. So some of the devices can go between three and five millimeters, whereas the normal microneedling usually till about 2.5 millimeters. So you get that advantage, especially in a doctor's hands, if you're treating very deep acne scarring, that you would need to go to that depth. Uh, but it needs to be done safely and the correct skin tone so that you don't get, you know, side effects and complications and post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. Yes. Then you get resurfacing, which basically is used um, to improve the texture of the skin and for pores. And then in that, so radium frequency is non-ablative, meaning that it just forms little scabs on the skin. And then laser, you get a, an ablative laser where you literally removing a layer of the skin. Wow. There's like six weeks of downtime. Oh, wow. And it's generally only done in your lighter skin type. So somebody like yourself, um, you know, somebody has got red hair, very mm. blue eyes, very fair. In patients like myself, it's a contraindication because we may heal with like a thick scab that looks very brown. Uh-huh. So in that case, like a, a CO two laser is then contraindicated. So the choice of your energy device will be or light device is based on the person that you're treating um you then get more superficial lasers that work on um removing a bit of pigmentation improving wrinkles so so in terms of the energy devices there's quite a few on the market but i think the experience of the operator is is key in in these sort of things yeah. because they just need to know you know what you can do for who and when and why? Okay. And what treatments
1: could you use, say, for alopecia, for hair growth, or just thinning hair? Do any of these treatments are they? Is anything targeted for for hair loss as well?
0: So with hair loss, first we start off with like a medical history, so you can look at things like you know your iron levels, thyroid. So first, you'll exclude medical conditions. Um, some people just there's no cause can be genetic, stress-related, et cetera. So that's the basic workup for alopecia or hair loss. You can then go on to, um, there's something I'm using. It's like a gene test that uh, we then take a swab from a patient and we send it off, and we try to see the pathway that's causing the hair loss specifically. Um, And then there's a set of supplements and products that you can use specifically for yourself. Uh So it's tailor-made for you. Uh Um, You can then look at, um, you know, classically would be like steroid injections that have been done before. We do PRP, which is platelet-rich plasma, where your blood is drawn and we spin it down and we extract the good uh, factors or growth factors from the blood, and we then inject that into the hair, okay. into the hairline, into the scalp. Yeah, um, you can also use um, there's there's a, a combination of uh, vitamins and antioxidants that can be injected. Oh. Uh, together with home care, and then there's the lights and the lasers that are also used in combination. So if you go to a full-on hair clinic, they would have all these modalities at their disposal, but from just a general aesthetic approach, you know, I would first look at medical, I would look at the genetic test, and then you would still do the prp and the hair fillers etc and then with the with the genetic test you get your home care prescribed for you Mm -hmm. with the ingredients that you specifically need okay
1: okay so what are the some of the most outrageous requests you've had in the past couple of years from
0: patients sure i don't know sometimes i Think you only attract what you what you want to attract. <laughs> I, I haven't see. had terribly outrageous patients. Um I think you know, a big thing is um lip fillers. There's a big drive towards bigger lips. And what I think patients have to understand is that the lip is it's tissue and it's a compartment, mm. and there's only so much that can go. Mm into that compartment so um yeah like people just want more and more and more and more but it can't yeah it can't always be done so but lips are very common they're very fashionable at the moment mm. and very controversial because there's lots of techniques ah. and you get a picture and you said this is what I want I want my lips to look like um We also have, I think, uh, in terms, I wouldn't say it's outrageous, but I think sometimes to achieve a result, um, you have to have budget. And I think that's the biggest sort of, um, what should I say, obstacle to some patients. They want something, but in order to get there, you do need uh, a specific amount of product which costs, you know, a significant amount of money, Uh, but if you can't afford it, you can't come in there and say, you know, I want to look 20 years younger, but you don't have enough money to achieve that because some patients would work better um, just having plastic surgery, you know? Um, Another area that some people have expectation for is the eye area the bags under the eyes yes uh and brow lifts and you you know if your tissue is heavy there's there's no way toxins gonna actually lift it so I think it's more about realistic expectations uh versus outrageous requests yeah uh because I think people don't don't understand and and there are patients that come in especially for um abdominal fat uh-huh. you know you want instant results but the reality is it's either process or you go and you cut it out it's, it's one of the two so I think those it's more unrealistic expectations something that's very fashionable also now is this Brazilian butt lift well, I thought
1: that so was a really, legend is this a real thing
0: <laughs> it's a real thing and we have one of the uh, biostimulators that I used. But you need something like 20 or 30 vials to achieve this. And in, you know, the South African economy, I don't know how I'm going to do that. So Brazilian butt lifts are a big thing. So if you've got, you know, I think like Kim Kardashian's made a big butt fashionable. So, so like it's a thing.
1: Okay, so you in, are you injecting a filler into the into the tissues in in sort of the glutes.
0: Yeah, so there is there is a filler where it's a tannin company, and then there's the biostimulator that's used in the US a lot for the Brazilian butt lifts. You can do fat implants. Um, so and then there's also something called like the hip dip. So if you you know you have like this dip around your hip, so you can use them in that area as well um so yeah so that that's i don't think it's outrageous but i think it's um it's actually not a very uncommon request and once it's established in south africa there's going to be there'll be a huge uptake
1: uh, i i yeah because here you know the the around backside is is a, is a revered part of <laughs> culture. And and rightly so. There's nothing nicer than to, to see a, a, a well-shaped behind. But I can't imagine be very comfortable for the first couple of weeks after having an augmentation. I mean, sitting must be a problem.
0: Yeah. So I, I, with the stimulators, not so much. Um, yeah, with the film, maybe a little bit more. But, you know, just okay. depends on, on the amount that you're going to put in. But like I'm saying, the cost okay. is is quite significant because if you look at the number yeah. of of, the, uh, of vials that you need to get a result, you know, at uh, roughly like seven thousand a pop, if you need thirty of them, that's a lot. Of uh, money that's a lot of
1: money. Yeah. Go do some squats,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, do some squats. Yeah, I, I don't know what the alternatives are, but that is. I mean, I've I've got two or three patients who would definitely look at it if cost was not a factor.
1: Okay, and what is the biostimulator? What does that do? Does that get your fat cells to work in a specific way or is it actually something that's you know put into the... How does that work?
0: So, so there's there's basically two on the market at the moment. Um, one is consists of PLLA, polyalactic acid, and what it does is it stimulates... Collagen to build itself, so it has three benefits in that it um, improves elasticity, uh, it can improve the skin texture, and it can volumize slightly. So it it basically stimulates the body to mount a response to create its own collagen, and in that way, you know those effects that follow. The other one on the market is um, actually there's three now, but the one I'm I'm not too sure I haven't used yet uh, that has uh, it's a filler biostimulator, but more for uh, I would say contouring the face. Okay. So it does improve collagen, but it's more okay. more has more of a filler effect. Okay. And then the other one is more for hybrid, so you know where you would do filler and a bit of biostimulation together. So it, it they not completely hyaluronic acid. So that's where the shift is. Okay. They now have different ingredients like calcium hydroxyapatite. Okay. The other one has PLLA and those things basically just um, start a cascade of events within the body to use its own mechanisms of improving um, the skin and volumization, et cetera.
1: Okay. Yeah, just a quick question when you said that there are certain things you can't do and you need to look at, say, plastic surgery. Things like eye bags, how do those form? A lot of people, as we age, we get puffiness and actual bags under the eyes. What is the mechanism that makes that happen? And is that something you can only get done under anesthetic with a plastic surgeon or are there other ways to deal with that? So there's, there's
0: two. So one can be a fat pad, generally below the eye so you've got to assess it sometimes it's just swelling it can be poor lymph drainage and it can be related to sinuses sinusitis so so the lower the lower bags can be you know one of those three things the upper bags are generally genetic or just heaviness or skin laxity, and in certain cultures or certain, you know, uh, race groups, it is more popular to have a heavy lid. So you've got to differentiate between upper and lower lid. Uh, We call it a blepharoplasty if we send through for surgery. So that's the first thing. The second thing is then to exclude all those various reasons why you may have it. So in terms of treating it, if it's just a fat pad, um, you can inject a solution, um, like a vitamin C and iron solution. It can, can help to break it down. I'm using regular frequency quite a wow. bit where that enhances lymph drainage and it increases blood circulation. And if there are underlying sinus issues, I would then treat them and then I would inject filler. So it's like a three-pronged mm-hmm. approach. And there's some patients where it's just so bad that your only solution is to have it surgically removed. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, I think it's just to assess the patient, to discuss their options with them and then for them to decide uh, which route they want to go. And again, cost is a huge factor.
1: Yeah, yeah. and then lastly, because we can't end this without talking about threading, Threading's been on the market for not not a hell of a long time, a couple of years, and it seems to be growing and becoming more, it's evolving. So let's just chat about what threading is and where you can apply threading successfully, where it's going, because it seems to be going in all sorts of interesting places, and who would be a good candidate for something like threading?
0: So basically, you know, we call it a thread lift or a suture suspension lift. And then there are various types on the market at the moment. So we started off a few years ago with PDO threads, which are smooth threads. And basically, they stimulate collagen, they can lift and, uh, you know, but but the results were quite um, subtle. And then we evolved to having sort of barbed yeah. threads, which have little claws on them that attach to the subcutaneous tissue and give you a lift. And then you have a thread that has PLLA in it, the biostimulator you know I spoke about, poly lactic acid or um, polycap Lactine, sorry, and essentially those have longevity because they last longer and uh, they also have the barbs and the newer generation now have a hyaluronic acid as well. So that was the evolution of threads. So there are PDO threads still on the market that are barbed that we use for what we call like a suture suspension lift. So you basically taking like a stitch, if you imagine a stitch that we use to stitch inside the mm. body, an absorbable stitch, we make an insertion point, and then we insert this thread, and we lift with that thread. And um, depending on the amount of tissue we're trying to lift, that would determine the number of threads uh-huh. we use. And when we started out, we used like two on a side. but honestly that doesn't give you a result uh on average I would say a minimum of four to five per side if you want to really get a nice thread uh-huh. lift that would be the way to go and you can supplement them with smooth threads after that like you know in, around the eye area you know neck etc yeah. yeah. so um they have evolved and I think, Clients who are good for uh, thread lifts would be somebody like myself, I would say, because I've got good volume. So in order to contour or lift my face, I can use filler, but sometimes you run the risk of looking rounder. So what I opt to do is to then possibly look at doing more of of a thread lift and pulling what I have up and then reassess after that to see whether I need more filler, you know, just for the tear troughs Mm. or to enhance the chin or something like that. So with heavier faces, I think um, thread lifts work better. Uh, With patients who have a lack of volume, I sometimes would still go for filler. And then also it's about um, the procedure itself. Threads are minimally invasive procedure, meaning that there is downtime, there'll be a bit of asymmetry, there'll be bleeding, bruising, uh, a bit of pain, you can catch a nerve. So in terms of complications or side effects, you have to have an educated patient who understands what they're coming in for who has realistic expectations because we do brow lifts with threads as well. And you can look like Mr. Spock for a (laughs) little while (laughs) until it's sickle, you know? Uh, And it is a reality and and patients are are quite perturbed as soon as the procedure is done. And oh my God, I didn't know I was going to look like that. So you have to have a well-educated patient. I try my best not to do it with the first time patient because I think I could potentially scare them away. Um, and especially a first-time patient to aesthetics. Yes, absolutely. And sometimes you get uh, a result that's nice, but it's not wow. So it's also about managing expectations because some patients get a wonderful lift and other clients, you know, yes, it's nice, but yeah, you know, I wanted something more. So um, it's, it's not a perfect sense.
1: Yeah, it's like going to the hairdresser and you want, you know, an Afro, but you've got short blonde hair. It's not going to happen. It's there's a limit to what anyone can do, and everyone's different. So, and our, our, our biochemistry responds differently whether you're looking at a diet or you're looking at aesthetics. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And I think it's also really important for people to understand, you know, start off with a little and then build up as you go and wait and see how your physiology responds to a treatment before going too far. Um, that's always, you know, a little bit of caution is always a good thing. And then the other question that comes up a lot that I get asked is pain. And for me, I've got a, I've got a massive pain threshold Um but there's many ways to manage this. What you know, what hurts, you know, for 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 average people. What what should people be expecting if they're worried about pain and discomfort with these changes?
0: So, so I think you know, with Botox and fillers, the pain is relative. You know, uh, we apply a topical anesthetic. It's a small injection. You can use a cannula, so the discomfort factor is not great. Uh, but again, you will get a subset of patients who are very sensitive. And in that case, as you get to know them, you would tell them maybe to take a painkiller before they come in. Post-procedure, especially when we're doing things like threads, um, you know, more laser lights, energy-based uh, procedures, collagen stimulation, we don't really prescribe anti-inflammatories because we want that inflammatory process to occur. So we would give more like your paracetamols and uh, you know, your your um, you know, stronger ones if really, if you really need them, but we avoid the anti-inflammatories. So pain would be relative to each individual. I would say that botulinum toxin and fillers are okay, I think you could get away with, you know, like a still pain or something post-procedure for a day or so. And then you shouldn't have anything. When you're doing threads, I think it becomes a lot more painful because uh, patients say they can feel something if it's attached, maybe perhaps too superficially or it's touched a nerve. You know, you can have that sharp sort of pain. It does happen from time to time. Um, so in that case, you would have to give something stronger for pain, but in general, your daytime procedures are not so bad. Like with microneedling, you would do it, you'd feel discomfort, Uh, but I don't know if you would feel pain that I would say, okay, you need a painkiller, but there are a subset of patients who sometimes Mm -hmm. do. We've looked at day sedation. It's just then you've got to get somebody to drive you back home you need yeah. to have an environment in which you can resuscitate if a patient has
1: yeah.
0: you know, uh, a reaction to a stronger sedative yeah. or a tranquilizer. Um there is the nitrous oxide that I've looked at, but again, you need a setting in which you can manage things. Yes. So then you need a proper medical uh, a proper it's medical setup. Yeah. Like we do have that, but we don't really have equipment to necessarily ventilate a patient or and and usually we're working on our own so in the case of an emergency you kind of you're on your own so it's it's a lot more difficult to sure. manage if anything sure. happens sure. yeah
1: yeah so that's also something that really um Triggered a question in me is is post-you know treatment management. So things like drinking alcohol, not a good idea after a treatment. Even exercise, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to get blood rushing all over the place. You want to actually have 24 hours of downtime. You might not feel pain, it's not the downtime where you need to go to bed, but you've got to be mindful of what you're putting in your body and how you're exerting yourself because. So many little processes are happening. There's so much going on. What are the, the best advice or best practices for people who don't might not know this? Because not every doctor will tell you, don't go have a glass of wine tonight. You put away 24 hours. Um, mm-hmm. You can't lie down for six hours without, I think it's filler or Botox. I can't remember which one it is. And yes, mm-hmm. the anti-inflammatories stop the, 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 the key ingredient working, which is the inflammation you're looking for. And most importantly, drink as much water as possible because these are all hydrophilic and they need you to be hydrated so that you can get the puff, as much puff and full as possible. So what's your best advice for people who've never done any kind of aesthetic procedures? What do you do afterwards for sort of a period of self-care?
0: So um, in terms of botulinum toxin and fillers, uh, with botulinum toxin, there's no lying flat for four hours no rubbing, no exercise, gym or sauna for 24 hours. The reason that you you need to do this is because from all the procedures that we do, botulinum toxin is by far the most scientific. So when you inject it, it normally radiates to about one to one and a half centimeters, depending on the product that you use. And if you're going to lie flat or you're going to rub it, it's going to go somewhere that we didn't intend for it to go. And then, you know, you start to get your tosis and a spocky and Then we can't tell you if it was the product or the way we injected it or it was just that you didn't follow the instructions thereafter. Um, They do recommend not drinking alcohol, uh, probably like 24 hours after. uh, But with botulinum toxin, the biggest ones are not lying flat, no exercise gym or sauna for 24 hours and then you resume normal duty. With fillers, when we're injecting, um, you know, we do make a point. So you inject it into the skin, the risk of infection is there. So especially if you wear a lot of concealer, etc. Most people do wear makeup, but we prefer a breathable sort of foundation that you can use or a light cover up, you know, nothing hectic because yes, the the you know, the risk of infection is there. With lip fillers, it's the same thing. The risk of infection, you can get quite a bit of swelling and bruising. And, um, you know, migration is a big thing. So if you, like, rub it too much and it goes above the lip border, that can happen. So if you follow those directions, like, you know, on how to massage, et cetera, it makes things a lot easier. I think the biggest things come in with threads because with threads, um, you know, you need to lie flat on your back, uh, you shouldn't lie on either side. Um, you know, too much of movement is not good for you. Running, they actually recommend that at least, you know, some people can't do it, but for like up to about a week that you shouldn't do any sort of strenuous exercise. Um, avoid anti-inflammatories. Uh, pre-procedure with most of them is just the omega-3s, your dyspherines that predispose you to bleeding and bruising. Uh, but post procedure, I think Just the biggest come in with threads and energy and light yeah. devices, um, even laser hair removal. Because you can, if you go out into the sun, if you've been in the sun or you're going to go into the sun post procedure, it's always a problem because you can burn. Same thing with with lasers, lights, radio frequency, micro needling. Uh, you know your home care is important Uh, when we do microneedling your channels are open for a few hours after that so some procedures will tell you don't wash your face till the next day because we want all the stuff that we've put in to sort of absorb and then you can wash your face the next day but the application of the sunblocks is quite important Uh, you know when you're doing peels um, if you're going to do like an intense peel, even a mild peel, if you're using things like retinols, very um, even racutane, uh, these things can give you adverse effects. So so in that case, you need to tell your doctor, like I've used this or you need to stop it at least three to five days pre-procedure yeah. because if something goes wrong, then your doctor's going oh, you didn't tell yes. me. And then you're going to be like, oh, you didn't ask oh. So, so again, yeah, it's, it's the history. So if you don't ask, sometimes it's my fault. And then if you don't tell me, then sometimes it's the patient's fault. Uh, because in the questionnaire does, it does ask you all those sure. questions. Um, but yeah, like in medicine, they always say there's one history for the pre intake order, and there's another history for the post intake order. Um, somebody ends up looking like they didn't do a good job so so it does happen so just make sure like if a patient's prone to fever blisters you know that's a big thing even with peels with whatever it is you need to ask them how long ago did you have it give them some pre you know pre-treatment and post-treatment just avoids problems
1: yes Yes. Wow. So there's yeah. there's so much more to this than meets the eye. Um, it's not just a case of the lunchtime <laughs> facelift. Um, so there's so much more to this. And I think, you know, hopefully with this episode, anyone listening who's interested in finding somebody they can partner with to slowly over time f- freshen up their appearance you know, is to ask the right questions, is to find the right person like you said not you're not suited to everybody you'll you'll find your match <clears throat> and find someone you can talk to be realistic about those expectations you can achieve a lot over time but nothing happens really quickly i think that's really important to remember so thank you for your time today is there anything else you wanted to add
0: thank you for the opportunity and i think for me it's just about you know educating patients and changing the the narrative yeah honest topics and you know where we're going with this in the future and just to be responsible about it and I think I think that's the key exactly
1: exactly And, and bust some of those myths while you're at it and thank you so much for your time it was such a lovely discussion Thank you once again for joining me for another episode of the Reinvent Health Podcast. As usual, all of my guests' details can be found in the show notes page on Apple Podcast, Anchor, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Please don't forget to rate on Apple and leave a review.